Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. So how about this Attacking God series? For me, it has absolutely been hitting uh, home for me. I sure have had my, my, my uh, fair share of bouts um, with God. And I too am learning that a lot of my frustrations, a lot of my anger, a lot of my confusions are a result of these false expectations that I have had on God. So full transparency here for everybody. I have been so disappointed in God when things don't go my way. When, uh, when he didn't give me what I wanted. When, when I prayed and asked, even in Jesus' name, and nothing happened. I could go on and on and on about that. I'm not going to do that, but I just want to say I'm really loving this series. And I believe that life groups, I believe you're having great conversations, vulnerable conversations. I believe you're having honest and deep conversations in and around this idea of attacking God. And here's what I've learned over the last few weeks and over the course of, of, this, of our study of attacking God. And you might agree with me this is that, man, God is not about making good people or bad people good. He's not about making bad people good. He's certainly about making dead people live again. That's, that's what God is out. That's his aim. That's what he wants to do. So it's been a couple of weeks. We've had two weeks of attacking God. Today's actually the last one. Next week, we'll go right back into Romans. Thank you for being patient. But now next week, get ready uh, for that. So we're talking about, and, and listen, I'm, I'm going to give you a real quick introduction on this. If you would like the thorough introduction, maybe this is your first time in the last three weeks, I would suggest you go back to week one or week two of the Attacking God series. You can find it online, cvchurch.org. Look for our message sharing. Find find attacking God and listen to the introduction. It's thorough. It's about a 10 minute introduction. I'm going to kind of fly through what I think are some of the key points of that introduction. So it talks about a group uh, of new atheists led by four men who kind of started this movement after 9-11 and the movement was against religion. Uh, So this group now identifies as the nuns, N-O-N. E-S. And and again, they've walked away from religion altogether. It's about 23% of today's population, of which 35% of that population are millennials, predominantly educated males. So again, not hostile toward religion, just not affiliated with religion whatsoever. And as Neil said, I would agree. I can't speak Uh, on behalf of any other religions. I'm I'm certainly just not, I don't have enough information. But I can speak on behalf of Christianity, and I think we draw the same conclusion. The problem with Christianity has never been the message. It's never been about Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his miracles. That's never been in question. For sure, the problem with Christianity has always been the messenger. The question is this, who is the messenger? Yes, for sure me, for sure Neil, for sure pastors who are behind pulpits today all around the world, for sure. But also people who would say, I am a believer of God. I am a follower of God. You too, my friend, you are also the messenger. And I think very often what can happen with both church and church people is that we can communicate the wrong version of God and even a false God. Then what happens, and this is the scary part, this is what happens is that when God doesn't live up to our expectations, 
We become disillusioned and oftentimes angry, and then we walk away from God. In first, the first week, we started with bodyguard God. If you believe in God and you go to church and you're a good person, then bad things won't happen to you. You, my friend, are exempt from disease, from pain, from suffering, from abuse, from poverty, and from sadness because you serve bodyguard God. Last week, we talked about on-demand God. And on-demand God is this idea that if we believe in God and we go to church, as a general rule, when we ask for good things, God is supposed to answer our prayers. Give me what I want when I want it. He prays. He listens to our prayers and he answers our prayers. Ultimately, I get what I want when I want it. This week... We're going to take a look into what we're calling guilt God. Guilt God is this idea that if you do something wrong, God will cause you to feel extreme guilt and overwhelming shame. This guilt and shame gets up in your bones and fully, fully consumes you. You start thinking things like, if God loved me, he wouldn't make me feel this way. We try and run from this God in an attempt to hide from him or even avoid dealing with him. But we can't seem to escape the guilt or the shame. It takes a long time to unwind from this God. This is the God that chases us even into our adulthood. And this is the God that when we just want to quit believing in him, we can't stop believing in him. Somehow this God haunts us. Some people believe God controls through guilt and fear. If it's enjoyable, the answer is absolutely no. If it's sexual, the answer is absolutely no. This God loves you, but this God doesn't really like you. He'll zap you if you step out of line. Those of you who have grown up in this kind of guilt, you know that guilt God is so, so hard to escape. I mean, as soon as we get away from guilt God environment, like maybe the home you were raised in or, or the church that you grew up in or wherever it is, as soon as you get out of that environment, you run. Let's not talk about the kids who are raised in church and go to college, what happens to them and their faith. But even though we get away from the guilt God environment, something about guilt God just stays on us, stays on us like the humidity in a Minnesota summer, like it's all over you. I've talked to so many people who say, I just cannot seem to get away from guilt, God. It's horrible. So here's the question. Neil asked this over the last two weeks. It's kind of a new joke in the office now. Who told you that? Who told you that? Maybe the question is really, when did you start believing that? Who told you? Was it your pastor? Was it a teacher in Sunday school? Was it a mom? Was it a dad? Was it a grandma? Was it an uncle? Who told you about these expectations that you should have on God? Parents, I think you would relate. You know, your child makes a mistake. And so you are lighting them up in your inner thoughts start taking place and you start questioning your own actions because you realize that as you are speaking, what you are trying to do is not working. You're shaming them. We're guilting them, right? We're kind of trying to guilt them into right behavior and it never works. 
And you know, guilt God has his own set of real faithful followers too. You walk into a church and it's just so easy for guilt God followers to begin to use this same idea that if we shame, we can shame people into right relationship with God. And it never, ever, ever, ever works. Guilt says, I can't believe I did this. Shame says, I can't believe you did that. So here's our agenda. We've been very honest and forthright with our agenda. Our agenda is to correct our view of God. How we relate to God, especially for those in the room who are slipping or have slipped out of relationship with God. Potentially, this could be your last Sunday. This is for you if that's you. This is for you. You are, my friend, in the bullseye of what God wants to say this morning. Because truth is, he sees you. He absolutely sees each and every one of you. This has never been the message of the gospel. This has never been who God is. Yet many have walked away from God when they're really walking away from a God. Not the one true God, not the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament, certainly the God of the No Testament. So let's take a look at God's heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says this. So now there is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now let's just take a moment and just acknowledge that there truly is a grip of sin. Sin does lead to death. And, and the grip of sin is very tight and very strong. I read a book years ago called Finishing Strong. And in that book, it says something that has truly stained my brain. It says this, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever intended to pay. We have to acknowledge that sin is real and the grip of sin is tight. But as we look to this verse, we realize something, the therefore. It's in the NIV translation, the therefore. Paul's therefore in this verse is so important. It's as if Paul begins by saying, I can prove what I say next. And what he's proving is this. If we are one with Jesus, and if Jesus is our head, then we cannot be condemned. When joined to Jesus, we hear the verdict, no condemnation. The verdict is not less condemnation because there's many of us who believe that we are improving our standing with Jesus. But it has not been improved. It has been completely transformed, changed to a status of no condemnation. Absolutely no, no condemnation. So here's the truth. Are we guilty of sin? Yes, we are guilty of sin. Sin pushes or pulls us away from God. And when I say guilt, I mean condemnation. Because there's a lot of us, some more than others, who have really struggled with guilt for years. It's the constant reminder that, that, that we shouldn't have, or we didn't, or we did. How dare you? 
You fill in the blank, but it's all over you. Or maybe it's buried deep, deep down inside of you, but it's this constant reminder that you are not good enough. You look in the mirror and you're disgusted by what you see. You walk into your home and you feel as if people are disgusted with what they see. And everywhere you go and everywhere you sit and everyone you're around, you feel this around you like the humidity of a Minnesota summer night. And you can't escape it. Condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is guilt on steroids that flows from the lava lakes of hell. That's where it comes from. It's our enemy's primary weapon, fully intended to separate you and me from God. Condemnation is meant and intended to separate you from God, the real God, the one true God, and to turn your heart against him. The word condemnation in the Greek is katakrino, which means punishment or penalty. Now you can picture a judge with his, with his big old hand, his big old finger aiming right at you convicting, of you, convicting you of sin and throwing you away on a life sentence. And then you think about conviction. Maybe healthy guilt. Conviction. The root word of conviction comes from Two words in the Latin, con meaning with and vincer, to conquer. That's the heart of conviction that you would conquer. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of each and every one of us. Helps us to respond to God's voice. Conviction, my friend, is very good for us. Conviction is good for you. Conviction is good for me. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of me, coming from a place where he wants me to conquer, helps me consider my sin, the consequences of sin. Do me a favor, close your eyes. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read you eight verses. Would you just close your eyes? Let the word of God just saturate your heart for just a moment. Just close your eyes. I'm going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39 out of the NIV translation. What then shall I say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change, any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who has raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, and here's the heart of this portion. Know that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you open your eyes now? And can you picture a judge whose only aim is to forgive you of your sin and to restore to you joy, purpose, and fulfillment. Can you see that judge? Can you see that judge with his arms wide open looking to restore you, restore back to you joy and purpose and fulfillment in life? My friend, there's two roads. They're different paths. They lead to different places. And there's different experiences along the way. And let me remind you, two different gods. We see an example in the Bible of who God really is. Because that's really most important. We know that he's not guilt God, but who is God? We see an example of who God really is. We see the heart of Jesus when a man filled with guilt and shame ran from him. I'm going to tell you the story of Peter. Just one portion of his story. And I love Peter. I see a lot of myself in Peter. The good and the bad. Peter's unique. He has high highs and very low lows. He's bold and high energy. And clearly he has some issues. And in this part of the story, they surface for all of us to see. We're going to pick up the story with Jesus predicting Peter's denial in Luke 22, verse 33. Peter, uh, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him. And here's Peter's response to Jesus. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I love this, Peter. Not only am I not going to betray you. Oh, I'm brave old Peter. I walked on water. I believe in that moment, Peter meant everything he said. He just wasn't ready for the adversity that was coming his way. You fast forward, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and Peter's the one that pulls a sword out and slices off a soldier's ear. We know Peter is locked in. So far, he's true to what he said. He is locked in. Jesus is arrested and led away to the house of the high priest. And the Bible says that Peter is following at a distance. Now standing by the fire, Peter is trying to blend in. He's for sure at a sellout's distance now. He can see Jesus. Jesus can see him. He should be much closer. He should be right by his side. He's the one who swore to be right next to him and go to death with him. Now he's kind of too far away, right? Too far away. He's standing right there next to the fire, next to everybody else. When all of a sudden some, some little middle school girl points her finger at him and accuses him of knowing Jesus. And to me, I'm like, Peter, here's your moment. You're being accused of being with Jesus by a middle school girl. Here is your moment. And he's absolutely crippled with fear. Luke twenty-two fifty-seven 57 says, but Peter denied it. Everybody say, there's one. First denial dies down. Still by the fire, wrestling with guilt. The guilt, what have I done? What have I done? Did I just do that? He's wrestling with this guilt when another person points his finger to him and says, you must be one of them. I'm like, yes, Peter, here's your moment. Second time you get an opportunity to redeem yourself again. Come on. Verse 58. No, I am not, Peter responded. 
Everybody say, there's two. An hour later, Peter's not just wrestling, but now he's fighting through the disappointment of two denials. Now he's sweaty, hot, lots of feeling in his knees and his toes. He's angry. And another one points to Peter and says, you, you must be one of them. And I'm like, oh, Peter, here's your time, baby. Redeem yourself. Stand up tall, Peter. You're brave, you're brave, Peter. Stand up tall, Peter. Tell that man who you are. Tell that man that you love Jesus. Luke twenty two sixty, Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody say, that's three. Luke twenty two sixty 60 says, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. <laughs> like a normal Mexico morning. <laughs> he hears the crow of a rooster as loud as a megaphone blasting right in your ear. Together, ready? Go, 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 go! Oh, man. My bad. That's on me. Don't spank that child. Then maybe the thing that would probably be the thing I, I would say we fear the most. This, this has to be the thing we fear the absolute most at Peter's absolute lowest moment of his life. Ready for this? Verse 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine the roar of the rooster. You're not getting that again. The roar of the rooster with the eyes of Jesus at the lowest point of your life. The disappointment that floods our souls when we mess up, when we fail, it turns into guilt, it turns into shame at every turn. Then Satan takes a hold of our guilt and shame and uses it to point his big old finger in your face and condemns you to a life sentence of punishment. Verse 62, Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Of course he'd be weeping bitterly. He just did what he said he would never do. Just like many of us have experienced, the grip of guilt, the paralyzing effect and disappointment, especially when you said, I'd never do that. You talked this big old game. I talked this big old game. Walk like sin could never touch me. And then it does. Of course he leaves weeping bitterly. For sure he has remorse. And God saw it all. And now Peter feels this need. I got to run away from him. I got to go hide and avoid at all costs. Sure, there was potentially true remorse in his tears. Of course there would be. That's Peter. But also knowing Peter's history, he's ticked off at himself. He's disappointed in his coward response. He knows that Jesus saw it all. And that's why sometimes you and I like to run and hide away. Because we know that we can hide it from other people. But we can never hide it from Jesus. We know that he saw it all. We know that he heard it all. 
Why would I want to walk into a church where all I feel is guilt and shame? Why would I want to walk into a church where people just point their finger at me because they know what I've been doing? They know what I smell like. They know what I look like. I can't hide this anymore. You wonder why your kids aren't coming home because they walk into that house and they're shamed and they're guilt tripped. And you know that it'll never work, but you don't know what else to say. The humiliation that Peter must have felt, the label of not being a man of your word. Can there be anything worse of having the label of you not keeping your word? You not being a man of your word? Can there be anything worse than that? How about the betrayal of your friend? How about letting down your friend? All of this happening at the same time. Then Jesus dies. Jesus, by the way, dies. He's betrayed, wrongfully convicted, condemned. His penalty was death. Luke 24, 34 says, Jesus appears to Peter. Man, I wish I could hear that conversation. Jesus walks out the grave. He's looking for Peter. He's looking for Peter. He knows Peter. He knows what's happening in Peter's heart. He's looking for Peter. I wish, I wish I knew what was said there. But there's another appearance. John 21, 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Of course Peter's going to go fishing. He's going back to who he was. He didn't live up to his name. He's fishing, well, he's got to provide so he's going to go fish. It's what he knows how to do. But he's also fishing because now he can cry and no one sees him. Just floating around on a big old lake. You got to believe, you just got to believe that somewhere along that lake, there's some home there and they just happen to have some roosters. And every time them roosters crow, Peter is reminded, just like you, you walk into a restaurant, that song begins to play and it triggers some emotions. Or you walk into church and you see a certain someone and it triggers emotions. Peter is constantly triggered and reminded of the guilt and the shame from his mistakes. Jesus does a miracle. They catch a bunch of fish. They come and they see Jesus. Now, Jesus calls them in and they have breakfast. They're having some fresh fish and wild rice omelets right there on the shore. Verse 15 says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's crazy to me. He calls him Simon, son of John. He doesn't call him Peter the Rock. Jesus dig into the place of hurt and pains in Peter's life. Reminding Peter that he knows that he saw and that he still loves. You don't see a response from our God of guilt and shame. Peter answered and said, Lord, you know that I love you. 21.16 says, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs and tend to my sheep, which really means get back on your feet and be a shepherd for my sheep. Care for them. You know what he's doing? He's restoring to Peter what Peter for sure thought he lost. John 21, 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why a third time? Well, he denied him three times. Jesus is going to complete the restoration three times because he knows exactly what Peter needed. Jesus would go on to tell him, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Remember you said you'd die for me? You will have your opportunity to do so. John 21, 19, Jesus said to this, 
Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. The love of Jesus is a love that pursues. That's why Jesus went to Peter. He could have sat back and waited on Peter. I'll let Peter come. He, Peter knows what he did. He knows what he did. And he'll learn from that mistake. I'll let him come to me. Nope, Jesus goes to Peter. That's the God we serve. He is a God who pursues us. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Like an old ancient army. God will pursue you. God is pursuing you. God will never stop pursuing you. He knew Peter and he knows you. His heart is for you. His heart is to restore you. His heart is to love you, to guide you, and to free you. Not to guilt you, not to shame you. And we, the church, are never more like him when we love people with God's love. We are never more like him when we begin to love people with God's love, regardless of who they are or where they come from or what they look like or what they smell like or where they were. We're never more like him than when we love people with God's love. The big so what today? Get this in your mind. Get this in your mind. The next time guilt and shame comes into your life, remember this. The big so what? The grip of guilt and shame is broken in Jesus' name. The grip of guilt and shame is broken in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet with me right there where you're at. Come on. Stand to your feet with me right there where you're at. Listen, you're in this room today, and there's no question about it. Guilt and shame is a part of your everyday life, and you know it. You can't deny it. You know that everywhere you go, there's guilt and shame. You take guilt and shame everywhere you go. You can't escape guilt and shame, and you're tired of guilt and shame. You want to get rid of guilt and shame. You now realize that guilt and shame come from hell. Guilt and shame is not the way our God works I want you to know you are not alone you'll see you are not alone listen if that's you I want you to make your way right now we're gonna do something together we're gonna do something together don't hesitate don't wait on somebody else you know guilt and shame is a part of your life whether you're the one who feels it or you're the one that shames other people maybe you felt that's just the way I've always been I've always been more aggressive than I should I take it out on my children I take it out on my family members I do do that when I come into church or I feel extreme guilt in my life I feel extreme shame I do want to run away from God there have, there have been times where I've contemplated running away once and for all from God come on come on there's more of you come on I want you to step out of your seat right there where you're at all the way up in the balcony come on down with me come on come on down with me we're going to do something Something together. I believe God is going to release us today from guilt and shame. I believe he really is going to break the chains of guilt and shame over his people this morning, over his church. Cedar Valley is not a church with guilt and shame. Absolutely not. This is a church filled with God's love. God's love. God's love is in this house. Come on, we're going to wait for you. 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 I had a feeling week one when Neil was up speaking. I'll just be fully transparent with you. We sing this song. We're going to sing it here in a moment. And I have had such a hard time singing this song because I don't feel that it's true always. You know what that song is? All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been faithful. You know why it's so hard for me to sing? 
Because there's been moments in my life where I have felt like God has not been faithful to me. A false expectation that I put on God. You know what the truth is? People haven't been faithful to me. Circumstances haven't been faithful to me. I've been on the receiving end of somebody else's really bad mistakes, really poor choices, and I put that on God as if he had never been faithful to me. All along the way, God has been faithful to me. People haven't. People haven't. Listen to me. People will let you down. At some point, your body is going to let you down. Disease is going to come upon every one of us. Your body will let you down. But don't you let the shame and guilt, don't you let the disappointment come, uh, be put on God. It was not God being unfaithful to you. It was disease being unfaithful to you. Sin is not your friend. Your body will let you down. People will let you down, but your God will never, ever let you down. So we're going to do that. We're going to break our chains by singing that song to God. Would you just lift your hands right there where you're at, right here in the front? Everybody in this room, would you just lift your hands? We know this is true. We know that this is true. All my life, you've been faithful. Are you ready? Come on, let's sing it all together. Come on. All together. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will see of the goodness. Come on, every hand lifted in this place, every voice, every voice. Come on. All my life you have been Yes, you have, God. Yes, you have. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will see. One more time together, considering all things that have happened in your life, all the pain, all the guilt, all the shame with all you've got. Come on. And all my life you you have been faithful. One voice. It's all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I enable, I will see of the goodness of You are for me. You are for me. You are not against me. You are for me. You're not against me. You've never been against me. You are for me. Your Holy Spirit lives inside of me. You love me. You pursue me. You pursue me. You have not failed me. You will never fail me. You're a God who loves. You are a God who loves. People have let me down. People have disappointed me. People have wronged me, but God, you have never. You have never. You would never. You will never. You're a God who loves. Would you lift both your hands one last time?
One last time, JJ, come on, lead us. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I Father, we place this moment into your hands. Everything we've said, we mean. Everything. We mean it from the depths of our heart. Thank you for releasing us from guilt and shame. Thank you for being such a good father to us. I'm so glad that we've walked away from guilt, God. He's nothing like you, God, nothing like you at all. Nothing like you. You love us, you're for us, you're not against us. So we thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts right now. Right now. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody says. Amen.